Hey, if you have a Bible, would you go to Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. Last week, I asked you this question, where is my joy? This week, I want to ask this question, why am I dissatisfied? Why am I dissatisfied? I want to talk to you about a healthy satisfaction and a healthy dissatisfaction today. I believe that God, like scripture teaches, that joy is the inheritance of a believer. I believe that satisfaction should be something that is seen uh, and experienced in the life of a believer. We should live life satisfied. And uh, I want to talk to you about what that means today. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11 says, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in a scorched place and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. How many of you in the room today would like that to be the testimony of your life? Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will guide you continually. I'll take that. I'll take, just guide me continually. And then he says, and he will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So Father, in Jesus' name, we ask over these next few moments we have together that you would speak a word to us that would challenge us and change us forever. Help us to leave this place more full of you. In Jesus' name, we pray and everybody said amen. Amen. Psalm 107 and nine says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I'm full of a lot of things. Like, I feel like if you were to open me up, you would, like, first of all, I think Mountain Dew would pour out. So fudge rounds would pour out. Like, I'm full of a lot of stuff, but I don't know if good things (laughs) are in there. So I want more good things. And, like, that's my desire is that I would be full of more good things, that if my life were to be opened up and to be seen, and truthfully, it is opened up and it is seen, you know, for for you guys, you see me like this every Sunday, and so my life, it, it gets opened up and it is seen to you, and so when you look at my life, I want my life to be full of good things. How many of you feel that way about your life? When people look at your life, I want my life to be full of good things, and I've been asking this question a lot lately to myself, like, so if God satisfies, and, and, and God even satisfies in dry places, so I want you to know now that th- your satisfaction doesn't hinge on whether or not you're in a good place in life, because the Bible teaches us that God satisfies us in scorched places, and even if you're living in scorched earth right now, God still can satisfy you, and so if God satisfies, then why am I dissatisfied? You ever wondered that? If God is all I need, then why do I feel like I need other things? It's, it, isn't it an amazing thing that people come along to you in some of the worst times of your life and say to you, God is all you need? And you're like, I didn't know God left me. I, I knew I had God, but why do I feel like this even though I know I have God? Why do I still feel empty? Why do I still feel dissatisfied? Why am I still angry? Why am I still frustrated? Why is this still going on in my life if God satisfies me, if God is all that I need. And some honest people in the room would say, yeah, amen to that. I wonder why I feel that way sometimes. Why do I feel dissatisfied, even though the Bible promises that God will satisfy me? So dissatisfaction is an interesting thing because dissatisfaction is not always a bad thing. The reason you started going to the gym is because you were dissatisfied with the way you felt physically or you looked physically, so you started to work out. The reason you changed your diet is because you were dissatisfied with how you felt, and so you went and you, you read up and you got on a better diet and you started eating better food. The reason you, you got smarter is because you were dissatisfied with not knowing things, and so you went and did some research and you learned or you went to school or you got a degree or whatever. Dissatisfaction is not a bad thing, but it can become an unhealthy thing. Right? Anything that God gives us and anything that God allows us to feel, it's not always a bad thing. It's just sometimes we can take what is good and supposed to push us to good things 
And we could take that and allow it to drive us to bad things. And dissatisfaction is one of those things that can either lead to fullness or it can lead to more want. And can I, I want to say this kind of as a, like a baseline for everything I'm about to say. I want you to understand there is a difference between settling and contentment. For some people in the room, you have called contentment settling. And for some of you, you have called settling contentment. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of people in this room who are like, I'm content. But the reality is, is you settle. You've settled. Settling and being content are not the same things. Contentment says, God, I thank you for where I am and for what I have, but I believe that you have more for me. I believe that this is not the end. Settling says that this is as good as it will ever get. I am limited to this. It will never be better. It can never get better, so I might as well just be happy where I'm at. That's not what God wants for your life. Can somebody in the room say amen? God does not want you to settle for below what he has for you, and what he has for you is more than what you currently have right now. He's always calling us towards more, towards better, towards a future, towards hope, towards something, not just what we have now, and that doesn't always mean possessions, by the way. It could mean more friendships. It could mean more rest. It could mean, but more. God is calling you towards more. So I want you to, to, to understand that. So there's a dissatisfaction that leads to fullness, but there's also a dissatisfaction that leads to wanting more. And dissatisfaction is inter interesting because dissatisfaction, it kind of grows in the gap between your reality and your expectation. There's the life you expected to have and there's the life that you really have, right? And so somewhere in the middle, lingering in the middle is dissatisfaction. And dissatisfaction can be good because dissatisfaction says, you know, I'm not happy with the way things are, so I'm gonna do something about things and I'm gonna make a change in my life. But if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves kind of living in that gap between expectation and reality and getting really frustrated with life. And, and dissatisfaction that kind of lingers there, it can destroy like an inspiring moment. Like, like today, for instance, I'm gonna say some things today that are gonna inspire you, I hope. And, and you're going to leave this place today thinking, man, I ought to try that or I ought to put that into practice. I ought to do what the word says. But there are going to be some people in here who are so dissatisfied that even though you'll be inspired, there's a part of you that says, why even try? I did that before. Why do it again? Or I tried hard before and it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. I expected this to result in this, but it didn't result in the way in, in, in doing, it didn't result the way I thought it was going to come out. And so, you know, I, I'd love to try that, Rob, but I'm kind of scared to try. And so we live in this place of dissatisfaction. Like, why try? Why even do that? Why even care about what happens with my life? Why even care about the future? Why even care about who I'm going to be or what I'm going to become? I, I did that before. I tried relationships before. It didn't work out. I tried tithing or giving into the house of God before. It didn't work out. I tried being faithful and serving before, and it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. And so we can be inspired, but dissatisfaction will cause us to stay where we are. Dissatisfaction can be boredom with your routine. You could just be dissatisfied. What's normal for you, I say this all the time, your normal is someone else's miracle. So your normal can actually, what, what would be a miracle for somebody else, your normal can become routine to you and you become dissatisfied with routine. It, it, it's amazing. Women become dissatisfied with men who are the same all the time. And it's like, I want somebody who's adventurous. No, you really don't. You want somebody who's consistent and every now and then is adventurous. You don't want inconsistent. You want routine. You just want the routine to spice it up every now and then. There's somebody in my life and his wife always says, like, if you, if you were, if, if a serial killer wanted to take you out, you would be the easiest person to take out because you do the same thing every single day. Anybody know anybody like that? Like, I don't have to worry about serial killers. I'm crazy. Like, I, I don't do the same thing once a year. 
This is the, this is, I do this more consistently than anything else I do in my life. My wife will tell you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the map. Like, like, yesterday I was like, hey, let's leave town. When? Monday. I'd rather leave today, but I'd have to find somebody to preach. And then I start to think, well, Derek could do it. Like, he's already gonna be on the stage. This is how I am. And, and so, so that, that consistent thing in your life can make you dissatisfied. Isn't that wild how the most consistent things can make you dissatisfied? The most routine things can make you dissatisfied. Dissatisfaction is also self-condemnation for falling short of your expectations or for stopping short. I heard someone say years ago, they said the pain of stopping short is greater than the pain of falling short. Because at least if you fail, you tried, right? But knowing that you, you stopped when you could have kept going, that's painful. And that type of disappointment can lead to severe dissatisfaction in your life. And so much of our dissatisfaction is a lack of grace for our own failures, our own pain, and sometimes the unrealistic expectations that we put on ourselves. So I wanna to talk to you about unhealthy dissatisfaction and the roots of unhealthy dissatisfaction and how, how to have a healthy dissatisfaction. Because I wanna tell you this, dissatisfaction is something, it's a tool that God gives you that he wants you to use to make things for people in your life and for yourself better. But if we're not careful, it'll lead to an unhealthy internal thing that we do that causes us to show some character issues in our life that we don't really want to show. So I wanna talk to you about unhealthy dissatisfaction and the overflow and what that looks like and, and how to recognize if you're dissatisfied and unhealthy in your dissatisfaction. First of all, Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So this is not a matter of, uh, of the Bible teaches that the love of money, not money is the root of all evil, but the love of it. This is a matter, this is an issue of who and what do you love the most? This is where dissatisfaction is ultimately rooted. It's ultimately rooted in putting something else in front of God. So the, 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 the mindset is whoever loves money will never have enough of it. So you could say the opposite. Whoever loves God will never want for money. In the sense, in the essence that it's not that if I love God that I'll never need money. Right? Anybody in here love God and you've needed money? <laughs> I need money right now. <laughs> Anybody got some? <laughs> no, like have you ever needed God, love God and still needed money? Like I'm gonna need to pay my bills this month. I love God, but I'm still gonna have to pay JCPB. I wanna know, is, y'all are real quiet right now. Are there, are there people in this room that you love God and you don't have to pay your bills? Like I need to... Like you love God, but you don't, have, you don't have to pay your mortgage. Okay, everybody in the room, like you love God, but you still need money. Okay, he's checking. Church people get weird when you start talking about money. Even though Jesus talked about money more than he did hell. But it's okay. So there's, there's a difference between needing it and wanting it. Max Lucado said, the, the most populated prison in the world is the prison of want. There's a difference between you using money and money using you. And for many people in this room, money is using you. So I wanna I want to talk to you about this. So the root of unhealthy dissatisfaction. Let me tell you a story and then we'll, we'll discover some things out of this story. Haggai chapter one is a really interesting uh, story. The people of God there are extremely dissatisfied. 
The prophet Haggai comes to him and he gets to the root of their dissatisfaction. This is what he says to him in Haggai chapter one, five and six. He says, now this is what the Lord says to you. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. One translation says you drink, but you don't have enough to get drunk. That means you got very little alcohol. <laughs> you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I like to call this Monica's purse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just play. Because any money I put in your purse, it just goes somewhere. I don't know. Does anybody like have a rotation of like Amazon packages just show up at your house every day? Praise the Lord. We're, I'm in therapy. No, it's okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. So he says, give th careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted a lot, but you're harvesting very little. Some of you gotta look, you gotta look at your life and say, is the harvest I'm reaping bigger than the work I'm putting in? Is there are a lot of people in this room, you're putting in more work than you're reaping a harvest on. So he's like, you might wanna think about your life if you're working yourself to death, but you're not getting very much from it. We could stop there and just go home and think about a whole lot in our life, couldn't we? How many things am I putting in work for giving my time to that are not producing a harvest in my life? Enough for me to eat. I love David's attitude, I've told you this before, but David's attitude when he saw Goliath, he said, he said to the people around him, he said, so if, if somebody beats this giant, what do they get for it? Because so many people in this room are fighting fights that don't give you anything in return. David understood, I'm not gonna take this giant out if all I get for taking this giant out is taking this giant out. So you're wasting your energy and your time fighting fights that don't produce any type of harvest in your life. Can I tell you one reason that you're so tired in your marriage is because fighting with your spouse does not produce any harvest. It's just energy wasted. Oh, man. So prophet goes on. What does he, what does he say why is this happening? Why are we planting so much and reaping so little? Why are we not, in, we're eating, but we're not eating till we're full. Why are we drinking? We're not drinking until we're full. Why is this happening to us? The prophet says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Wow, why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Whoa. So he says, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain the new wine and the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. In other words, you're working enough to get something in return. You're planting enough, but I am withholding the rain because you have life flipped upside down. I cannot bless an out of order life. Now, don't get it twisted. This is only true of us as God's people. So don't look at worldly people and say, but they don't go to church and they're blessed. God will do this to you 
so that you, as a believer, get your priorities straight. There's stuff that God demands of you that he doesn't require of the world. And God doesn't do this because he hates you. God doesn't come and establish the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because he hates you and he's intimidated by all the other gods. He just knows that that life leads to ruin. A life that puts things before him leads to ruin. A life that puts money before him leads to ruin. A life that puts my satisfaction before him leads to ruin. So he says, I will dry up the earth because I love you so much so that you get things right. I will frustrate everything you put your hands to, not because, uh, not because I'm so angry with you, because I want you to get things right. The right way to live life is to make sure that you don't have anything in your life that you love more than God. He says, you're dissatisfied with all of your working and all of your drinking and all, you don't have enough clothes to keep you warm because you have put other things first. You've put other things first. And if you're not careful, what God is doing because he loves you to turn you back to him, you'll turn it into something that's not and you'll become someone you don't want to be. You have to recognize how God moves sometimes. God wants to provide for you so much, but he wants to provide for you his way. He wants to do it right. And so when you start to make a living in an inhonest way, that doesn't please God. And so you can think, I'm blessed. But be sure, your sins will find you out. And the life of sin, the Bible actually teaches, is pleasurable for the moment. But at the end, the bill that comes with the life that puts other things before God is not God's best for you. It's not, and, and if I'm not careful, I'll see things drying up as, or things not working out as, God's, as God abandoning me, and I'll get mad at God when God's actually trying to show me the way home. <laughs> So what will happen if I'm not careful, if I have an unhealthy dissatisfaction, it'll lead to, I'm a victim. We live in a world full of victims. Everybody wants to be a victim. Because victim takes away my personal responsibility. God says, you're not really a victim of anything other than your own desires. And if you'll make sure that my house is taken care of, you won't have to worry about your house. But you're so worried about your house because you are ignoring my house. People that see church as optional will live disappointed lives. People that see serving God as optional will live disappointed lives. People that, that see God as an opportunity to be had and not a king to be served will live disappointed. They'll feel like victims. Look how hard my life is. I, I can't, and I can't do anything about it. Not only am I, am I a victim, not, and, and to... To be honest, there are a lot of victims in the world. But the problem is, is when you become, when, when it's not just I'm a victim of something somebody did to me, now you have a victim mentality and now you live under what happened to you and you use it as an excuse for everything else that happens to you. What happened to you might be real, but it's, it's, it's no right for you to live under it as an excuse for the rest of your life as to why nothing else is working out for you. Because somebody is standing on the water that you're sinking in. Somebody in something much worse than you is surviving. And not only surviving, thriving. 
So yeah, bad things happen to people all the time. We live in a fallen world. Horrible things happen to people, really horrible things. But that doesn't give you the right to use that as an excuse to live in this mindset that, that I, everything that happens to me now is everybody else's fault. When does it become your responsibility to take back control in your life? Psalm, 1, Psalm 10 and 14 says, but you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. The victims, though, what do they do? They commit themselves to you. The victims commit themselves to you. A lot of times people who are victims of something commit themselves to all kinds of different causes that are not him. And be careful that what happened to you doesn't become the lens in which you see everything in life through. And you commit your life to, to fixing what happened to you before you commit your life to him. Or you commit your life to, to making sure that never happens to anybody else before you commit your life to him. Because anything that isn't committed to him first is out of order. It's out of order. And so God wants to get your life in Order. Does, does God want you as a victim to care about injustice? Absolutely. But he wants you to get it in order. We've seen what a passion for injustice, that's, that's uh, a passion to see uh, uh, justice or, or a passion to see people who have suffered injustice. We've seen what that passion looks like when, it, when it's not first given to him. It looks like cities on fire. But when it's first given to him, we see a Martin Luther King Jr. Right? So it's not that God wants to take away your passion. He just wants to direct it carefully and accurately and in order. Oh, man, that's what he wants. So, so yes, all of us in this room, we are a victim of something, but the victims have to turn to God. I have to give myself to God. Whatever I have suffered, whatever the injustice I have suffered, I have to first turn and give myself to God so that I can become an instrument of God and not an instrument of what happened to me. Even though what happened to me and what happened to you is very real, I've got to be careful because if not, it'll all get out of, out of order. Second thing that we do when, when we're dissatisfied and it's unhealthy, we, we, we have a weird view of trust. So there are people in the room, most people fall into one or two categories. You're either the person in the room who doesn't really trust people easily, or you're the person in the room who trusts everybody, and both people end up hurt. So Psalm 118, 18 says, or 118.8, it says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. <laughs> so no wonder you're so dissatisfied. <laughs> You've been putting your trust in people. Oh man, and people are people. Like I, I, I tell people all the time, like I, I grew up, I grew up in, in a ministry where, where the pastor didn't teach us to put our confidence in him. He taught us to put our confidence in the Lord. And so, and, and as a father, he, he taught us, son, I'm flawed, so I'm gonna make some mistakes. And when I make those mistakes, I'm gonna apologize. But you know who you need to really put your confidence in? It's the Lord. And so when I saw my dad make mistakes, I didn't get some sort of unhealthy distrust of men because I never really trusted men in the first place. He taught me not to. My kids are all the time like, Dad, you don't trust me. That's right. I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. And the older you get, the harder it is to throw you. Why, Dad? You're a human being. I don't trust myself. I have to wake up every day and turn over control of my life to God if anything is going to go right in my life. Because if I wake up and I trust me, see, that's why I don't understand prayerlessness because it's, it's a self-confidence that you shouldn't have. Why do you pray, Robbie? Because I don't trust me. 
I don't have any confidence in me. It doesn't get done if it's me. But if I put my trust and my faith in God, I will not be let down. I will not be disappointed. No matter what people do, no matter how people let me down, I'll be satisfied because he satisfies. I won't have an unhealthy dissatisfaction. Man, I just, life would be better if people could be trusted. You're going to wait for the rest of your life. Man, you've put too much confidence in people. I mean, yeah. Well, should I even trust my spouse? Yeah, but don't get weird. You know what I mean? Like, don't get, don't, don't, don't ruin your marriage by, by when your wife says, hey, um, can I see your phone? Saying no. Don't do that. She has every right not to believe you. You're a, you're a human being. And the moment you stop thinking you're human is when you start to make mistakes that you have a hard time coming back from. Come on, man. Third thing we start to do, we start to have a negative expectation. I'll go to church, but it'll probably just be like last week. I'd come to church with you, but you know what happened last time I came to church. I'd pray, but you know, the last time I prayed, I'd give, but you know, the last time I gave, you start to have this like negative expectation. It's a wild thing to me that believers have negative expectation. Proverbs eleven twenty seven though, kind of clarifies this for us. It says, whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. One translation says, when you search for evil, evil will come looking for you. Evil was minding its own business until it found out you were looking for it. So it says, if you look for favor, you seek the good, that's what you'll find. Most of life, most of what we're living in is a representation of what we've been looking for. So whoever seeks good finds favor. You'll have a negative expectation. These, these, are, these are people who are unhealthy and dissatisfied. Another thought is you become a perfectionist instead of a learner. Proverbs 1 and 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. I love that, that when I get saved, that doesn't mean I've reached the pinnacle of Christianity, there's a lot left for me to do. There's a lot left for me to learn. And the moment I stop learning, I either think I know it all or I don't want to know anymore. And both are a symptom of pride. First John 1 and 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The goal is not to live life without sin. If you make never sinning your goal, you're gonna be an angry, sinful person. Because the people who claim to be the holiest in the Bible were the meanest in the Bible. And the people in the earth who claim to follow Jesus the closest are the meanest Christians I ever met in my life. The ones who tell you what you can wear and you can't put this and you can't do that and you can't go. They're the meanest Christians you've ever met in your life. Trying to live life without sin will make you mean and hateful. The goal is recognizing that there is sin. I need to repent and I need to come to God. That's the goal. I recognize, yeah, that attitude, that thought, that was sin. I need to repent and I need to come back to the Father. That's the goal. He says, if if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. You you don't even have the love of the Father in you. You don't even know what love is. Wow. Another thought. When I have an unhealthy dissatisfaction, I think that others exist to serve me. (laughs) 
Like the reason you're on earth, I just wanna let you know, the reason you're here is to make my life better. <laughs> That's an unhealthy, dissatisfied human being. The Bible says about Jesus in Mark 10 and 45, even Jesus, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that. I love that it says for even the Son of Man because it's like if there's anybody in this room who thinks that you are above serving, then you think you are above Jesus. Because it's like if anybody had the right to come to earth and demand something of humanity, it's the one that actually created humanity. But even the one who created humanity didn't demand service from humanity. He turned and served humanity, gave his life as a ransom for humanity. Who in the world do you think you are that other people exist to serve you? If you come into marriage with the mindset that she exists to serve you, your marriage is gonna end quick. It's gonna end quick or she's gonna just, out of loyalty, stay with you, but she's gonna be unhappy for the rest of her life. She exists to make me happy. What type of warped school of man did you go to that thinks women were created to make you happy? Maybe, sir, your dissatisfaction is not because you aren't getting what you want. Maybe your dissatisfaction is coming from the fact that you aren't giving what you want. Maybe you treat her the way you do, not because you're disappointed in her because she burnt the toast. Maybe you're disappointed in her is a reflection of your disappointment in you because you haven't attained manhood. Maybe. It's like, somebody is like, now do the women. Now tell the women. I'm a guy. I don't get to do that. Like, I don't get to go, now, ladies, I'm coming for you. I don't get to do that. I'm a man. I'll save that one for Monica. You can take care of that. And you're like, yes, Monica only preaches twice a year. She'll probably forget about it. <laughs> Oh, man, I almost snorted. That was awesome. <laughs> Another thought is we get frustrated when we're, when we're unhealthy and dissatisfied. We get frustrated with the incompetence of others. You ever found yourself here? Like, this happens a lot with our kids. And this happens a lot with people we work with. It's like, you... You think they should know better. You think they should be smarter than that. And your frustration, your dissatisfaction in life is rooted in the fact that you're frustrated with the incompetence of other people. And all these things are not really a reflection on the people that we're frustrated with. They're actually a reflection on us. Another thought is that this disappointment in others, because think about it this way. You ever been good to someone and didn't get anything in return? Have you ever been generous to somebody and you, you didn't get anything back for it? You didn't get any love back, you didn't even get a thank you card, like you just, a lot of life can be that way, like it seems like sometimes raising kids is, is like a, a lesson on doing good stuff and not getting thanked for it, right, so you, uh, yeah, and so what will happen is if you become disappointed, you'll stop doing good things because your expectation of others is, is upside down, it's wrong, Wait, Rob, I'm not supposed to expect anything in return when I do good? No. What? Yeah, it's actually in the Bible. 
Luke 6.35 says, love your enemies, do good to them without expecting to get anything back. Why? Because when, you're, when your generosity, your kindness, when it has strings attached to it, it's called manipulation. That's what it's called. So let me give you two ways to maintain a healthy dissatisfaction. I'll let you go. First of all, believe. And that sounds really simple, but it's not. Become a believer. And I'm not talking about just confess Jesus as Lord, get saved. That's something I'm talking about. I want to challenge you to actually believe in God. Well, Robbie, I do. I, I go to church. Like, I gave my life to Jesus when I was nine years old. Like, I, I believe in God. Uh, do you? Or are there certain areas of your life where you've been disappointed and you stop believing God for that? Where have you been hurt, you shut down, you put a stone over that, and the stone needs to be rolled away? Believe. There's a story in the Bible, Mark chapter 9, there's a dad. He's got a son who the Bible says he's possessed by a devil. And every time this spirit starts to interact with his son, he says he throws him into a fire, and he starts to convulse and do all of this stuff, and it's breaking the father's heart, so the father brings him to his disciples, to the disciples of Jesus, and they can't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, when Jesus shows up on the scene, and the father has been talking to these disciples, they're actually arguing, and they're in like a whole doctrine discussion over what's happening to the kids. See, here's where the church misses it. We'd rather argue over what's happening the theology of it than get to the bottom of it. We don't really want the answer. We want to argue. So the answer shows up. And the answer is frustrated because here he sees his disciples arguing over what the situation is rather than just bringing healing into the boy's life. And so Jesus tells the dad, bring him to me. Tells him this, and the dad tells him the story. He says, well, you know, this is what's happened to my son. And he says to Jesus, he says, and, and if you can, would you heal him? And Jesus says something so powerful in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. He says, he said, the New Living Translation puts it this way. He says, what do you mean if I can? I feel like so many of us in this room today have Maybe not every area, but many of the areas of our life where we look to God and we have this mindset, if you can. And then Jesus says to him, if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. This is where God wants to meet you today. I think sometimes we get it misunderstood. I think we think God wants to meet us in our belief. God wants to meet us at the point where we believe. Yes, very often God also wants to meet you at the point where you don't believe. Remember Thomas who was doubting? And Thomas, because Jesus had resurrected and the disciples had seen him and they tell Thomas and Thomas is like, no, can't happen unless I see the marks in his hands and the spear in his side, unless I see it, I will not believe. And I love that Jesus doesn't let Thomas's story end in his unbelief. The Bible says Jesus walks through a door, basically, shows up. The disciples are there, and they're all excited. And he walks over to Thomas, and he says, hey, look. Look at the nails in my hand, the markings in my hand. This hole in my side. Thomas is like, oh, I believe now. 
See, I love this about God. It's like, I think sometimes we're thinking God is waiting until we get our belief to where he is. No, you serve a God who comes into your unbelief and meets you where you are. So, so here's, where you got, where, here's, here's, here's how to get out of, out of unhealthy dissatisfaction. Admit and start to come back to God in the areas where you don't believe anymore. We try to just cover that stuff. Well, you know, I, I used to believe in healing, but I don't think you necessarily need to have a good Christian life and believe in healing. Or I used to believe that God could bless my finances, but I don't necessarily think that you have to be a, have a good Christian life to, to see God bless your finances. Wherever you stop believing that God could do the miraculous, that's where you need to let him come in, heal that area so that you can be satisfied again. Hmm. So... And, and the second thing, to main health, maintain healthy dissatisfaction. I believe, but I also have to recognize that when I start to believe, as soon as I start to believe, problems are going to show up. I need you to understand, as soon as you start to believe God, stuff is going to happen. As soon as you, you're going to come, somebody, it's going to happen, somebody today. I don't know who it is. With somebody today, you're going to be so excited. You're going to get in your car and you're going to run out of gas on the highway. You're going to break down or you're going to get into an accident. We have accidents that happen in church. Not in church. We have accidents that happen in the parking lot after church. Can you imagine the person who gets in an accident after church? Like they leave church like God's good all the time and all the time God is good and they're backing up. Pow! This is how the devil works. It's like immediately, as soon as you leave this place, like, 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 like the cares of life that came up and ate up the seed that was planted in the, in the soil, life is going to come and obstacles are going to come and you're going to have to recognize that obstacles are a part of life. And obstacles really only show up in the life of people that believe because if you don't believe, the obstacle doesn't mean anything. If I don't believe he can raise from the dead, then being dead isn't an obstacle. If I don't believe that he can heal disease, then having a disease isn't an obstacle. But the reason I believe it's an obstacle is because I believe that he can do something about it. And very often, many of the obstacles, God is going to ask you to participate in removing. And if you really believe, you're going to participate in your miracle by doing things that show you expect God to do what God does. For instance, John chapter 11, Lazarus has died. Jesus shows up after Lazarus is dead. Everybody's frustrated with Jesus. And he looks at them while they're frustrated with him. And he says, hey, see that stone over there that's covering up his grave? Yeah, we see it. Move it. Well, Jesus, it's been a few days, and I don't know if you understand this or not, Mr. Tardy. You know, should have showed up 15 minutes earlier. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, if we open this up, He's stinking by now, smells behind there by now. This is going to be nasty. And Jesus says, I told you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Sometimes God asks you to do something as a sign that you believe that he's getting ready to speak. So he says, you remove the stone, I'll speak into the tomb. For some of us, we say we believe, but we're not moving anything. Sometimes you have to remove the stone. You do what you can do in expectation of what God will do. I'll leave you with this. There are two types. We stand on your feet with me. There are two types of dissatisfied people in the room today. Two of them.
the one who works and the one who complains. The one who works gets what he wants and the one who complains loses what he has. So you have two options when it comes to your dissatisfaction. You can see it as an opportunity to remove some stones or you can see it as an opportunity to complain about the stone. Uh, I mean, if we do this, it's gonna smell and you know how it worked out the last time we opened up a tomb. Like, what do you... What do you know about opening up tombs that you're so scared to open up tombs? Well, you remember last week when they opened up old Sally's tomb. Woo! Sally, she was a stinker. Like, what do you know? Like, you're, you're already talking negative about something before you've even tried it. So there are two types of people in the room today. Those who are gonna leave and get to the work of moving stones in anticipation of what God's gonna say and do or those who are gonna leave and complain. Don't be a part of the latter. Don't be a part of those who complain. You see, throughout the entire Bible, complaining gets people nowhere. It gets you stuck in a wilderness for 40 years. You, you get stuck in a journey that was, was just a few days for 40 years because you complain. Don't. Don't be a part of the crowd that complains. Be a part of that crowd that moves in expectation that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Can somebody say amen? amen. So Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you today, help us. Help us with our dissatisfaction. It's there. It's in all of us. It's in every person in this room. There's a level of dissatisfaction. The question is, are we gonna have a healthy dissatisfaction or is it gonna be unhealthy? Is it gonna lead us to behaviors that are not what you want for our life. Those are going to lead us to move some things, to get some things in order so that you can speak into them and do some miraculous things in our lives. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now for every person in this room that they would put nothing in front or before you. We ask that. Help us to get our priorities straight, to recognize that maybe the frustration I feel with my house is a frustration there because I have left your house, the things of God, unattended to. Don't let it be said of me that I was building my own kingdom while I neglected yours. Help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in the room said amen. I love you so much.